Friends, will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you bring clarity to the truth of your word this morning. We ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing, O Lord, in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, have you ever started on uh, something, ex you know, expecting something to turn out one way, but then it doesn't? Uh, I remember taking art as one of my Form 5 subjects, even though I was horrible at it, just to hit the max number of subjects that I could take. And I remember each time I sat down to start a new piece, whether it was a, a still life painting or even a pencil sketch, it would eventually turn out very, very different from the way that I expected. And the only way I could have submitted my assignments was as works of abstract art because, you know, the proportions were really off and I couldn't draw or paint to save my life. You know, when, when God created me, he decided to give every ounce of artistic talent to my wife. Anyway, uh, before submitting my work, I'd usually give my work uh, in progress to my teacher to see. And she was very nice because she didn't laugh at me or say that I was wasting my time or her time. Instead, she would take out a, an eraser or white paint and help me with correcting major areas of my work you know, that just looked really horrible. And of course, uh, she wasn't doing my work for me. I still had to finish it up on my own. But after her corrections, it actually looked, it, it ended up looking like what it was supposed to look like, you know, a bowl of fruit or, or whatever vase, whatever I was supposed to be painting. Uh, although it didn't go how I expected it, it turned out much better at the end. I still got an E for my O-Levels art paper, but you know she was just an art teacher, she wasn't a magician. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the point of, of this, that story is also our big idea for today's message, and that is, despite our expectations, God works according to his goodwill, okay? Despite our expectations, God works according to his goodwill. Uh, we're coming to the end of our series on Genesis. In fact, it's our last sermon on the book. Next week, we're looking at a fresh new book from the New Testament, uh, the book of Ephesians. And throughout the entire book of Genesis, uh, we've looked at the origins of man. We've looked at God's desire to have fellowship with them, as well as how he begins a special relationship with a group of people through the patriarch Abraham and his descendants. So Isaac, Jacob, recently we've been wrapping up uh, with Joseph's story. So today's passage is near what serves to be an epilogue to the book of Genesis before it moves over to the book of Exodus. Now Joseph had reconciled with his brothers, as we saw a couple of weeks back, and they had brought his father, Jacob, to Egypt in order to meet him. And in the meantime, all their children and relatives had moved with them to settle in the land of Goshen in Egypt in order to escape the seven years of famine because Joseph had stored up seven years uh, worth of bountiful harvest just before the famine, exactly as God had revealed to him in Pharaoh's dream. And at this point, 
Pharaoh is very happy to have Joseph's people there. You know, this would change later uh, in the book of Exodus when another Pharaoh took over. But for now, it's sort of a happy ending for Jacob and his sons. Oh, by the way, Jacob at, up to this point had already encountered God and he's had his name changed to Israel. But the Bible still refers to him as Jacob, sometimes as Israel. So far as I know, there doesn't seem to be solid reasoning for why they fluctuate and it's just that Jacob and Israel are used interchangeably and synonymously at this point. I'm just going to refer to him as Jacob. But Jacob is now an old man. Uh, after living in Egypt for 17 years, he's now approaching almost one and a half centuries of age and he's fallen ill. He knows he's about to die. And so he puts his affairs in order by calling for his sons to bless them. Oh, remember how at the we, we looked at the inheritance blessing that took place at the end of someone's life, right? when Jacob stole Esau's blessing with trickery. Well, it's sort of ironic. Now, Jacob is the old blind one doing the blessing, but there's no trickery going on. Uh, anyway, the, the, the same inheritance blessing thing is happening here. The blessing that Jacob is giving to Joseph's sons in Genesis chapter 48 and his own sons in Genesis chapter 49 contains elements of inheriting property and family authority and rights. It's not just some encouraging words. But on top of that, there's also an element of prophecy which we'll look at more later. So Jacob's about to pronounce his inheritance blessings. But before that, when Joseph hears that Jacob is ill, he goes to see him together with his two sons. Manasseh and Ephraim. And things don't go the way we expect because Jacob's blessing doesn't go directly to Joseph, it goes to his sons instead. Uh, before Jacob goes about blessing Joseph's sons, he says this in Genesis chapter 48, verse 5. He says, Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Now, several things are happening here. Joseph is inheriting Reuben's double portion. Now, remember how during those days, the firstborn would inherit a double portion of inheritance uh, in order to use the extra portion to take care of the mother and other descendants when the father passes away. Alright, so by giving the inheritance blessing to Manasseh and Ephraim, Jacob is actually giving the firstborn's double inheritance to Joseph through his sons. I, I think I mentioned in my previous message that Reuben had forfeited his firstborn rights by sleeping with Bilah, right, his father's concubine. So now Reuben is just counted one of the sons and the firstborn inheritance is split between Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, secondly, Jacob formally adopts them as his own sons. You know, and this is something that did happen back in that part of the world during that time. So Ephraim and Manasseh are no longer considered Jacob's grandchildren. Instead, they are elevated to the status of direct 
children. Now, of course, I don't think they were considered the same status as Joseph or they were no longer his sons or anything like that. But in terms of inheritance and rights, they would be equal to their uncles. Much later, the descendants of Manasseh and Ephraim become two half-tribes of Israel instead of one whole tribe of Joseph. And when the Israelites finally conquer and occupy the Promised Land and provide territory, uh, they divide the territory among the tribes, these two half-tribes each inherit a portion of land to make it 12 land divisions since Levi uh, doesn't own any territory of their own. So when the 12 tribes of Israel is mentioned in the future, it's the 12 sons of Jacob minus Levi and Joseph and adding Ephraim and Manasseh instead. And that's how the, the division works. Another thing that's happening is when Jacob adopts Joseph's uh, sons as his own, he's securing Joseph's lineage. Now remember, Manasseh and Ephraim were born to Joseph in a foreign land. And Jacob specifies that they're born to Joseph in Egypt before he came to them. So maybe like one of our recent Malaysian issues, Jacob is thinking of the citizenship issue of babies born to parents overseas, like, you know, the ones that our Malaysian mothers are facing. Uh, on top of that, Ephraim and Manasseh's mother is Asenath, an Egyptian, and so that would make them half Egyptian, no longer pure-blooded descendant of Abraham, and that might affect their place in the family. So Jacob could have done this to ensure that they would not be left out in his, you know, his inheritance by Joseph's brothers or the brothers' descendants after Joseph dies, or maybe to make sure that their descendants count themselves as Israelites and not Egyptians in terms of culture and religion. But now that Jacob claims them as his own sons, their claim to his inheritance cannot be questioned and they won't be assimilated into Egyptian society. And what that shows us is that adoption affects the identity and rights of the adopted. In Ephraim and Manasseh's case, it gave them access to something they wouldn't have had otherwise. You know, they can't earn their way into this adoption. Jacob had to initiate the adoption. And so the same happens for us in God's family. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I'm not going to go into the whole subject of predestination here, but I will mention Wesley's doctrine of prevenient grace where even though we have the free will to accept or reject God's offer of salvation through faith in Jesus, it is entirely by God's grace that it gets offered in the first place. And that there's nothing we could do to earn the offer to be adopted to sonship through the substituting work of Jesus. And when we are adopted, we also obtain a new identity and rights as God's children, no longer children of the devil, as 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 puts it. Now's the time for discussion and reflection. And you know, unless you urgently need to go to the bathroom, I do encourage you to use this time to discuss with someone next to you or talk to God about it. Maybe write something in your journal after reflecting.
And the questions are, what is one thing that you value from being adopted as God's child? Okay, what's one thing you value from being adopted as God's child? And for the kids, what part do you like about God being your heavenly father? Okay, what part do you like about God being your heavenly father? Okay, let's take two minutes to discuss. Alright, let's move on to this, the second major thing about today's passage. And that is the blessing itself, which comes with a twist. Joseph leads his sons to Jacob to be blessed, and Manasseh is the older brother, and Ephraim is the younger brother. Right? So according to customs of the day, Joseph positions the older brother on Jacob's right side and the younger brother on Jacob's left side. And the, let, why, why is this significant about the left side and the right side? Why is this important? Well, the Hebrew word for left is semol. It can also mean unprofitable or unfortunate. And the Hebrew word for right, yamin, can also mean highly regarded. Now, why is this? Well, the majority of the people in world in the world are right-handed, right? I'm right-handed. So the, the right hand symbolizes dominance. It represents power, prominence, strength. You know, that's why when uh, gangster tylos have a right-hand man, right, right hand, uh, they're usually considered more favored, more honored, higher ranking, than the guy standing on the left. And so everybody wants to be the right-hand man, not the left-hand man. So the, the same is 
true in the culture of the Bible, and this applied to the blessings as well. The preferred blessing was always given with the right hand. And so Jacob does something unexpected. He crosses his hands to give the preferred blessing to the younger brother on the left, when the firstborn would usually be the one who gets the preferred blessing. And so this continues uh, a pattern that has been in play for a few generations of patriarchs now. Since Abraham's time, the firstborn's rights and blessings have not been going to the firstborn. Uh, think about it, Abraham's firstborn son was Ishmael, but Isaac was blessed. Isaac's firstborn son was Esau, but Jacob was blessed. And now Jacob's firstborn son was Reuben, but Joseph was favored, and now Joseph's sons were blessed. And so Ephraim, the younger, is set ahead of Manasseh, the firstborn. So together with Jacob's blessing of his own sons in chapter 49, we see that Jacob isn't choosing to bless one over the other because he prefers one. His blessings are also prophetic acts. God had revealed to him at some point you know, either what he wanted or what was going to happen. And so Jacob prophesizes through this blessing that Manasseh will be a people, but Ephraim will be a group of nations. And so Ephraim eventually becomes almost synonymous with the northern kingdom of Israel. The, the capital of Samaria is located in Ephraim's territory. Uh, uh, even though Manasseh ends up with more land in terms of acres, Ephraim had a larger population density and usually is listed before Manasseh in scripture. And so the lesson here isn't that you know, the younger brother is better than the older brother or anything like that. It's simply that God doesn't always work according to our expectations whether it's based on what we are used to or what we hope for. Now imagine that you were a child of one of Joseph's brothers. Your uncle went missing and now he's found. You have new cousins. But suddenly these cousins who are probably younger than you are receiving the same inheritance as your own father. In fact, they're both brothers but now they have twice the status and rights to property and servants than your own father. Would you say that's fair? Now imagine you're one of Manasseh's sons. You know, he would have been at least 24 years old by the time Jacob dies, so it's likely he would have had children by then. So put yourself in the shoes of one of Manasseh's sons. Your father is the older brother and you've grown up expecting him, your father, to be more important than his younger brother because you know that's just how the world works. But one day, you hear about how your grandfather had given a greater blessing to your younger brother, uh, to his younger brother, which is your uncle. And now, everyone thinks your uncle Ephraim is more important than your father, even though he's the younger brother. Would you say that's fair? Probably not, right? Simply because it goes against what we would expect. But unexpected doesn't necessarily mean unfair. Many times we expect things to happen a certain way or even for God to work a certain way. And when that doesn't happen, we think it's unfair. You know, for example, we see a similar sort of issue in the parable of the workers in the vineyard that Jesus told. Uh, the workers are fairly paid what they're promised, but they felt 
it was unfair for those who work less hours than them to be paid the same as them because they expected more work means more pay. They expected reward, but they did not expect generosity. Now, there was once a serial killer who committed pedophilia, dismemberment, necrophilia, and cannibalism of 17 people. Uh, he eventually accepted Christ in prison and he was baptized in prison before he was murdered by a fellow inmate. Now, consider this. This same serial killer will be in heaven together with the people we love who had also embraced Jesus before they died. Or maybe we ourselves, we spend our entire life trying to do what's right. We obey Wesley's general rules. We do no harm. We do good. We practice our spiritual disciplines. Then we see a serial killer repent and gain the same status as us. Sinner redeemed by Jesus. Would you say that's fair? Uh, if you feel disturbed, may I suggest that it's because of our expectations of the common pattern of the world, you know, that good people deserve good things and bad people deserve bad things. Of course, this doesn't excuse evil in the world. Consequences for sin and evil is still there, it should still be there. But God's work of redemption goes beyond that. In fact, from another perspective, being forgiven for our sins can be considered unfair because we could do nothing to earn that forgiveness. You think about it, grace is actually not a very fair thing. We just don't consider that because we benefit from it. And so, like the parable of the workers in the vineyard, it's not a question of our reward, but God's generosity. My point of all this is that God is the standard for what is just and fair, not just our expectations. So friends, the next time you feel like something is unfair or that God is being unfair to you, consider it from God's perspective, his perfect standard of justice. Is it really a matter of fairness or is it simply disappointment from unmet expectations? So let's now take some time, pause to uh, reflect and discuss what are the times when you feel like God is unfair and where do you think those feelings come from and for the kids what will you do if someone gave you ice cream that is not your favorite flavor okay let's spend two minutes discussing this
Now, since this is near the epilogue of the book of Genesis, I'd like us to quickly look forward to the future of the story of God and his redemptive plan. And this is pretty much an ending to Jacob's story. You know, after he blesses his sons in chapter 49, he dies and shortly after that, Genesis ends with the death of Joseph as well. And so Jacob says in Genesis chapter 48, verse 11, he says, I never expected, he's saying to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. And so God comes through for Jacob in the end. And it definitely wasn't in a way that he expected. Joseph also dies in a position of great influence and he's reunited with his family. And again, God came through for him in the end. And again, not in a way that he expected. And Jacob prophesizes by faith to accompany God's prior promises. He does this in chapters 48 and 49. Before he dies, he also passes down his experience of God and the covenant promise to the next generation. You know, it, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. And so he's passing on this promise, this covenant on to the next generation. And on top of that, Jacob prophesies that they will return to the land of their fathers. At this point, all these promises and all these prophecies are unfulfilled. And when they finally are fulfilled hundreds of years later, again, it definitely was in a, in a way that Jacob, Joseph, or even the, the entire nation of Israel expected. Therefore, our faith should be in God and his promises, not in our own hopes of how God will fulfill these promises. Now, for example, James chapter 1 verse 5 If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and will be given to you. It's a promise. Wisdom will come to those who ask. But just because God promises wisdom to those who ask Him for it, you know, doesn't mean that He must give us magic brains that know how to solve every problem quickly and easily. Wisdom can come through painful lessons learned from failure as well. Uh, one last thing I want to mention about God's promises. And it's that the promises for tomorrow should affect the way that we live today. You know, like how Jacob and Joseph both give instructions in Genesis chapter 49 and 50 for their bones to be returned to the land in Canaan because of their faith in God's promise that he would give the land of Canaan to their descendants so that they would be able to come back and, and be buried there. Now, I perform a lot of funerals uh, for those who, you know, those who are aware, recently we, we had quite a few um, 
a few of our members pass away. And so I conduct quite a few wakes, funerals. And one thing I noticed is that, or, or rather one thing I was reflecting on, is that for those who belong to Christ when they die, the circumstances around their death, or what sort of life they experience leading up to the point of their death, no, that isn't the end. That isn't the point where God's promises are fulfilled. Of course, God fulfills many good promises during the course of our lifetime, right? We just don't live for death. We don't wait until we die. Then only we expect God to fulfill uh, all his promises. But we have a lot more to look forward to than just this life. And so this is a basic truth of being a Christian, that we spend eternity in heaven with God without sin and everything that comes with sin. But the hope of our future should inform our convictions today and our convictions should inform our behavior. Whether the promises are fulfilled in a way we expect is not as important as the fact that they are being fulfilled. And from what we've seen in Genesis all the way up to Revelation, God comes through in the end and often in a way that we don't expect. And so friends, we have that promise to look forward to in eternity, that message of revelation, God wins at the end. So, are you living in fear currently? Not just of COVID, are you afraid of going, growing old or falling ill? Or your body weakening? Are you afraid of losing your job? Are you afraid you won't get married? Or are you living in despair? Do you feel that there's no hope for this nation? Do you feel that there's no hope for your marriage? These are all important things, things that God can redeem, but we live for so much more than all this. And so friends, would you allow your faith in the gospel that promises abundant life both today and in eternity to show itself in what you truly believe in your heart and as a result, in how you live each day with peace and hope that comes from the Lord and His promises. Let's spend some time in reflection and discussion. What is one promise of God that influences how you behave and how so? For the kids, if mommy and daddy promise to take you to an amusement park after they are open again on, on, on a Saturday, would you stay up late on Friday night? Why? or why not? Okay, let's spend some time discussing. Thank you.
Therefore, friends, in conclusion, I'd like you to know that despite our expectations, God works according to His goodwill. You know, God always comes through in the end on His terms, not ours. Would you be confident in God's promises even when our expectations are not met? You know, instead of trying to get God's will to conform to our expectations, be open that God might simply want to do things differently and adjust accordingly. And do live according to convictions that are based on God's promises. Be firm in your faith and don't let the unexpected shake you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.